G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. Ooh, don't be jealous. Go with the fellas. Whatever the weather. We got drinks with umbrellas. You got time to wine. I keep them down in the cellar. We got time to shine. I do that shit at Coachella. Following brunches and lunches. Lunches and crunches. Living life in abundance. Don't really worry about nothing. Then I pull up, hop out. Wave at that cop now. Stop sign. Ran that. Oh, that fine. That's not ours. Fuck what they say now. I just pay my way out. This is a miracle. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. My guest today might be Australia's hardest working man in showbiz. He's a writer, comedian, actor, one half of the already iconic hip-hop duo AB Original and a hugely respected solo performer who just dropped his latest single, Life is Incredible, a darkly funny and powerful commentary on indigenous life expectancy. On top of all that, we are speaking in the midst of an APRA song hubs comprised of First Nations artists that he's curated and I don't actually know how he has time to be here talking with me today. Briggs, welcome to my favourite album. Thank you, man. I make time, dude. Don't make excuses. Make time. I was thinking today about like how much stuff you pack in to your time, like how many different strands of your career and your art there are and how you manage to make them all fit amongst each other. Yeah. And I'm wondering about how much of that comes from this idea of, I don't know, if you had this when you were growing up of like, you know, have to do twice as much to get half as far yeah and if that was part of the of course yeah. like because you know being indigenous obviously like a black fella you know from rural victoria i had to work you know 10 times as hard to get almost the same amount of respect and then also on top of that being from country vic i had to work twice as hard to get the same respect as coming from the city you know what I mean? Like with everything, like all the logistics of travel that I had to do to make shows and even to make the studio and make that studio time count. But, you know, it's all that pressure that, you know, carved out the kind of hard work that I revel in and I enjoy. Well, let's get on to the meat of what we're talking about today. And Briggs, what is your favorite album? I've got a few, but the one that always comes to mind and sits forever in my iPhone is probably Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style. It's the bounce of the wild, creeping and crawling, Yiggy, yes, yo, and Snoop Doggy Dog in the motherfucking house like every day. Dropping shit with my nigga, Mr. Dr. Drake. Like I said, niggas can't fuck with this. And niggas can't fuck with that shit that I drop, cause you know it don't stop. Mr. 187 on the motherfucking top. Tick tock, now what I got, just some nuts in the cock. Robbing motherfuckers, and I kill them blood cops. And I step through the fog, and I creep through the small, cause I'm Snoop Doggy, Doggy, Doggy. Oh. This came out in 93. Yeah. If I'm doing my math right, you were, what, 11? No, much younger. Oh. 93, I would have been seven. Right. Yeah, I was seven. 
Okay, so when... Definitely shouldn't have been listening to Doggy Style. I was going to say, so how did this album get to you? What were you listening to at the time? Like, you were in, what, Shepparton? Yeah, I was in Shepparton, Victoria. See, the thing was, I never really, like... I don't remember there being much in the way of kids' music when I was a kid. Like, there was Sesame Street, I remember, and Play School, but I don't remember them having albums. Like, this is pre-Wiggles. You know what I mean? So, PW, as we say yeah, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, the songs for the kids were like clean versions of, of the songs that were out. You know what I mean? So, like, I grew up, because I was the youngest in the household, I had a brother who was into Public Enemy. I had two sisters that were into, like, R&B and also Guns N' Roses and The Doors and, you know, Johnny Diesel. <laughs> So I was in a pretty adult kind of realm for music, you know what I mean? So I guess being that was always present, you know, music was married to entertainment. So I remember Guns N' Roses being attached to Terminator 2 and being that kind of kid, you know what I mean? That's all I wanted to watch was Terminator 2. I wanted to watch it so bad, I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was super cool and super dangerous. And so, that's what I was listening to like all this stuff I remember I had that on tape Guns N' Roses but then I remember one morning I was watching Rage or video hits and this rapper come on and in the film clip people are turning into dogs and dogs are turning into people and it's just blown my mind like I knew what rap was but it wasn't until I seen this dude and I was like wow he kind of looks like some of my cousins. And I was like, you know, being seven, I was like, is he related? You know? <laughs> right. I was trying to piece it together. And so I was just attracted to, like, sonically, I think it just grabbed me. It's something about sonics and music that, you know, everyone has their thing. And this just, like, hit me right in the feels, like, right in the brain where it just releases all that wild stuff that sends you, you know, crazy. And... It wasn't until like maybe a few years later that I understood that this was part of an album because like being a country kid from, you know, Shepherd of Victoria, but not really understanding much, not really in a musical kind of household. All I knew was that there was this song, What's My Name by Snoop Dogg. And I heard it everywhere. People were playing it in their cars. My cousins had it. And then one day when I was about 10, my cousin gave me a tape and it was Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style. And I remember, like, it was a dub tape on a, you know, TDK 90-minute thing. And he'd messed it up. He'd done it out of order. And I remember the intro, there's a bathtub scene. And I was much too young to understand what was going on <laughs> and the concept of that. And I remember just being confused. And then, like, Lady of Rage opens it up and kicks in the door. You know what I mean? It's just this wild graduation of how to listen to music. You know what I mean? For me, <laughs> as, like, a 10-year-old, like listening to this really really softly because i knew i wasn't allowed to listen to music with swearing in it my mom wasn't going to have it <laughs> so that's how it really started it was all the danger and all the work i had to put in around it to be able to listen to it a matter of fact like i had this busted tape deck that didn't have a front on it so i had to like fit the tape in and then feed the tape over the part like i had to figure out how to play it and then I had to play it on super low so no one knew that I had this tape and like I could sing along, you know what I mean? It's like, 
For your motherfucking years and years, for my bitches, for your motherfucking fingers and Because I couldn't sing it out loud because, you know, I'd blow my cover. <laughs> it's so funny. That's such a classic story about discovering music at that age is like hear versions of that kind of story from like way back in like the 60s and someone's got you know the radio up to their ear listening to the stones because yeah. their, their parents won't let them listen to rock and roll and it's just that thing that repeats through the ages is like the transgressive thing and like i'm i know i'm too young for this i know i'm not supposed to be listening to it and that's half the attraction yeah yeah it's all the danger around that i get busy i make your head dizzy i blow up your mouth like i was dizzy gillespie i'm crazy you can't face me i'm the s so yes i'm fresh i don't fuck with the stress i'm all about the chronic bionic you see every single day chilling with the d-o double g's d-o-u-n-d that's my click my crew you fuck with us we got to fuck you up i thought you knew but yet still you want to get real now it's time to peel you say chill and feel the motherfucking realism Snoop Doggy Dogg is on the mic I'm hitting hard as steel, nigga This is for the G's And this is for the hustlers This is for the hustlers Now back to the G's This is for the G's And this is for the hustlers This is for the hustlers Now back to the G's What I love about classic records like that And like those kinds of artists and producers Is now hearing all the stories You know what I mean? Once people's opinions have changed of other people And they're getting a bit older you know what I mean? You hear about how things come about and how like Snoop freestyled most of that record. He freestyled it. When you listen to it, you can tell that he actually did that and how certain tracks came about. Like, you know, G's and Hustlers on that record was the warm-up track for the studio. So Dre would put that beat on and to warm up the microphone and, you know, the equipment and to warm up Snoop's voice, Snoop would go in and freestyle. And they cut that track off one of those freestyles. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's like, but like to me, that's like the best stuff. Like to me, that's like as a nerd, that's the most interesting part. Yeah, and it's funny, you're right. Like albums like this, where there's so many people involved in the the making of, and different people contributing different stuff, and then even like contentious about how much like. Did Dre really like produce the whole thing, or is he maybe taking a little bit too much credit? Well, I reckon Dre's taken a lot of credit, but I don't think the credit's undue. Like, we know for sure that Warren G produced stuff. We know for sure that Daz Dillinger produced a lot of stuff on that record too. Everyone knows those dudes made the beats, but the producer isn't the dude that makes the beat. The producer is the dude that creates the album that creates the songs you know what i mean so like warren g and daz you know phenomenal producers phenomenal beat makers but dr dre overseeing that whole thing and the doc wrote a lot of snoop's songs too like murder was the case that was written by the doc and like he taught snoop how to structure a song so like snoop was freestyling until the DOC taught him how to write a narrative. It's bizarre, man. Like, and that's all the stuff, that's all the stuff I just love. Like, all that nerd stuff, man, that, like, it just makes me, like, that's all the good stuff. Like, that's what you want to know about. Like, for someone who writes songs and who loves this record, like, that stuff is what gives it life. It gives it that warmth. And, like, you can hear from, from like, NWA, Niggas for Life, into Dr. Dre, The Chronic, into 
Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style, the graduation of Dr. Dre's production. You know what I mean? So it's like you could hear the chronic being made when they were doing that NWA record. And then he made the chronic and it was like crazy. It was like this, this wall. You know what I mean? It's like this bananas, like just intense West Coast sound and it was smooth as well and it was hard and it sounded crazy and it was super entertaining and super funny. And then I feel like when he got to Doggy Style, that was like the streamlined, the ultimate version of that. You know what I mean? Like that was the Lamborghini of, totally. of gangster rap. You know what I mean? It was smooth and it was classic and it sounded like nothing else. And it still stands up against anything today. 100% I would put that record next to anything that, that's dropped from then to now. What's up? As I look up at the sky, my mind starts dripping, a tear drops my eye. My body temperature falls, I'm shaking and they breaking, trying to save the dough. Pumping on my chest and I'm screaming, I stop breathing, damn I see demons. Dear God, I wonder can you save me? I can't die, my boo-boo's about to have my baby. I think it's too late for praying, hold up, her voice spoke to me and it slowly started saying... My eyes are closed. It's actually startling how much it doesn't sound dated when yeah. you listen to it now. Well, I think that's the nature of classic records, right? But I think like rap music, I guess because, you know, it was a genre really born in the 80s, you know, it didn't really get the respect due until much recently. So people weren't really looking at it like a classic record. It, they looked at it like a classic rap record, but not a classic record that stands against, you know, Metallica's Black Album. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or something, you know, The Wall, or you know what I mean? Dark Side of the Moon. You know, all yeah. these classic records that do stand the test of time. And, you know, you have to put Doggy Style up there with these records because it still stands like 93 until now. You know what I mean? Across genres, it transcended genre. And it stands as a classic record. And it's like, so it's 26 years old now. If you like look at other records from around that time, like, like Nevermind, yeah. a few years of that, and that's something that has like definitely achieved overall classic status. For sure. So it's like, feels like there's been enough time since this record's been out and it's stood the test of time and it should be canonized now as part. Yeah. And, and impact, you know what I mean? Like the impact that that record has had is the same kind of impact that Nevermind had. You know what I mean? Like, it carried, and it still carries. You know what I mean? People look to that record, and like, you know, the skits in between. If you understood, I, th I think that's where like a lot of people miss out on this record. Like, they don't 100% understand the P-Funk movement of George Clinton and, you know, Bootsy Collins, and like all those black exploitation, super pimp, you know, super fly movies that this album was drawing on, you know what I mean? Even from the artwork, it's black exploitation, right? So I think 
a lot of it, especially out here, was lost on a lot of people because they weren't exposed so much to everything that's referenced, you know, in this piece of work. And also on top of that, you know, you've got like Warren G on it, like Corrupt, you know, is arguably between then and like the Dog Pound album, Dog Food, like he's at his best, you know, and you could ask Eminem, you know, he says that Corrupt is one of his favorite MCs of all time. And on that, I think he was, he might've been like 18 when that record came out. So it's like he was at his hungriest, you know what I mean? And he was an East Coast MC from Philly rapping on all these West Coast beats and just like tearing it up. And like Snoop's references to like Slick Rick and doing like Ladi Dadi, you know, and like he always has a cover on nearly, I think maybe every one of his records, he does a cover of a classic rap song. And not just like Sugar Hill Gang, he'll do a deep cut that only real heads would know. And just reminding everybody that Snoop is an MC's MC, just because he's Snoop Dogg, the cartoon character that people see him as, you know, he's he is the MC's MC. He's fantastic. Well, I was actually going to ask you about that later, but since you just mentioned it, that thing about Snoop as like a sort of cultural figure that he's turned into over the last quarter of a century, you know, no one really thinks of Snoop as dangerous anymore. He's got like a cooking show with Martha Stewart, which is kind of crazy to think about. But how do you feel about the way that he's perceived now? And do you think like, it sounds like you do think that his music is getting a little bit lost amongst that. Yeah. And I think it's the nature of the genre and music as well. Like, you know, hip hop is, is really a young man's game. It's because it's, it's a youthful music, you know, it's music, for the youth and it's the youth that are going to dictate to us where rap is heading and so like you know you see snoop and he's doing stuff with martha stewart and he's doing preaching at churches he's doing everything like that's just snoop dog you know what i mean like that's what he does like i think it's great that he's transcended beyond what everyone thought an artist could or should be but the reality is is he's a mentor for so many dudes too, like Wiz Khalifa and, you know, Nipsey Hussle, who recently passed away after being shot. He is that mentor as well. And he's taken that Uncle Snoop role to another level. And he always adjusts and adapts to what's happening. But he remains Snoop Dogg. He doesn't follow the trends. He just adjusts and adjusts himself around the trends and makes the trends adjust to him as well. Because, like, there's not many other rappers that you can talk about that since the 90s has had a hit in, like, every generation. You know what I mean? He's had a banger every five years. Like, certified banger too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's like, he is, like, you want to talk about the greatest rappers of all time, he's up there for me because of his longevity and his impact on rap. And not just within rap, his impact on, you know, the genre, like transcending the genre as well. It makes him like one of the greatest of all time for sure. You can't contain my authority, restrain the minority. Take the head, everybody, you follow me from a long line of leaders and warriors. I paved the path through the face of intolerance, through the face of a colonist. Half-assed apologists celebrating death on Australia Day. More than making a change, more than staying the same. In the bling, watching off the sword, turn into a coroner. You ain't got the balls to walk these corridors, grip the claws in the Morador's jaws. Everything's getting heavy, no doubt, brother. And if things don't change, somebody's getting buried. You wanna take this? Yeah, man, I'm not. Well, 
talk about his impact on you and your music specifically. Like, you discover this record for the first time, the song when you're seven, the record when you're ten. Yeah. Like, how, as you started to make your own stuff, did this sort of help form what you were doing? Yeah, the thing was, is that I could never sound like Snoop because I didn't have that voice and his laid-back approach. I always wanted to sound like Cube, Pun, and Big. You know what I mean? Those are the three dudes that I aspired to sound like and dudes like Exhibit as well. Those were the dudes that I aspired to sound like. But what Snoop, like growing as an artist, what Snoop brought to the table was be yourself and sound like you and sound unique because nobody sounded like him. And that's what the inspiration was because as soon as Snoop hit a track, there's no doubt who it is. Yeah. There's not one... Like, you couldn't put a Snoop Dogg song on and people would be like, is that Snoop? Because, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? So it's like, use your voice and, you know what I mean? Like, I remember my first raps was, was always like M.O.P. You know what I mean? It's like yelling and swearing and rah, rah. And then I, you hear a dude like Snoop and it's like, nah, use your voice. You know what I mean? Articulate and like, swagger bring it back a bit you know what i mean say stuff with purpose without yelling you don't have to yell at everyone all the time use your voice you know what i mean like like he talks really softly you know what i mean and and then he, he delivers these lines and it's all about style and that's what the most inspiring thing i took away from snoop was it was all about style and impact and you know how unique he is and to look at myself and be like okay what are my strengths? Where's my voice at? How do I use my voice to its full capability without overselling it, without yelling it? You know what I mean? And just like learning from that. That's interesting because I do hear when I think about you in relation to him, that kind of the, the confidence and the delivery where it's just like you're going to get people to lean into what you're saying. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. It's like, you know, he said something not long ago too. It's like, you know, you can have the best message in the world, but if the shit's not hot, no one's going to listen to it. <laughs> yeah. 100%. So, so like that was always a point when we were making the AB original record. So, like, all right, we can have the greatest message in the world, but if it's not slamming, no one's going to give a fuck. So not only do we have to have like the real message, the dope message, we have to make these joints slam. And that's where trials comes in. And that dude is phenomenal. He's a genius. And plaques on the wall say so. And that's why, you know, me and T are on the exact same page when it comes to, you know, that we can say whatever we want, but if the joint's not right and the beat's not knocking, then it's not worth shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that, you know, the message being important doesn't make the track good. Yeah, it makes the message good. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily make the track any more special than, you know, the next man's. So you have to be good at writing a song and capturing those melodies and capturing those moments. The whole point of the AB original record was to capture the moments in the studio that was the vibe. When it was me and T and Hal, me and T and JT, me and T and, you know, whoever else we had in the room at the time, I can't even remember. But, like, it was all about capturing that vibe of the fun we were having in making that. Like, because that's what I felt with Doggy Style. It felt like they captured the vibe of the studio. It's like everyone's around, everyone's drinking and smoking and doing whatever, whatever. But that's the vibe and that, and that translates. And that was the main objective of Reclaim Australia was to 
not be the most lyrically impressive record, but was to capture the vibe so people could understand, you know what I mean? We're in the studio banging this out, having fun, saying wild stuff, but bringing a message and also making the joints hot. And I think people underestimate how challenging it can be to translate the vibe you have recording something to how people hear it. Yeah, well, like the way I thought, the best way I could do it was to do one take verses. So everything I wrote for Reclaim Australia was written on the spot that day. Shit. There's no rewrites. I think T rewrote some stuff because he's a bit more forensic and he's a producer. But for me, it was all on the spot. And I feel like that helped capture that energy. That's wild. I would never have guessed that. But yeah, that's great. I mean, that record, and not to go too far off topic, but just I think that's going to be a classic in 25 years. People are going to be talking about Reclaim Australia the way we're talking about Doggy Style now. I hope so. I, I, I hope, like, that was the point of Reclaim Australia. I hope Reclaim Australia is some 10-year-old kid's Snoop Dogg Doggy Style record. Because, like, if I would have had Reclaim Australia when I was 10, I would have known that I could do it. You know what I mean? Because I, I'm a big believer in you can't be it unless you can see it. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's really hard to be it if you can't see it. So, you know what I mean? I was lucky I had a good community around me and great people to work with to be able to be the artist that I am. But now I hope that by putting out all these pieces of work and the fact we're at in Indigenous Song Hubs right now says that, you know, those things are changing. And, you know, hopefully... You know, infinite universe, infinite possibilities, man. Reclaim Australia is some 10-year-old's favorite record. Yeah. Well, I hope whoever that 10-year-old is, like many of them, obviously, (laughs) that one of them grows up and becomes a great artist. And then if I'm still doing this fucking podcast (laughs) in in 20 years or whatever, you know, I can be sitting somewhere like this. It'll be a hologram podcast by then, I reckon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Beam directly into your cranium. Yeah. I got me some sequins jeans. Everybody got their cups, but they ain't chipped in. Now this type of shit happens all the time. You gotta get yours before I gotta get mine. Everything is fine when you're listening to the DOG. I got the cultivating music that be captivating me. Who listens to the words that I speak as I take me a drink to the middle of the street and get to Mac into this bitch named Shady. She used to be the homeboy's lady. Oh, that bitch. Degrees. When I tell that bitch, please raise up off these NUTs, cause you get none of these at ease. As I mob with the dog pound, feel the breeze. Be out, Chuck Jess. Laid back. With my mind on my money and my money on my mind. Rolling down the street, smoking Laid back. So when you go back these days and you put Doggy Style on, when you listen to the record now, way many years after first listening to it, now knowing all this context about how it was made and all the influences, what's the experience like for you to listen to the record now? It's comfort. It's comfort music. It's, it's like a palate cleanser. You know what I mean? Like every now and then when you just want to listen to that record or if like you're having a barbecue with my boys or something like that, it's like we can just put it on. We all know it. You know what I mean? everyone knows what this is it's it's safe it's a safe bet it's strong you know what i mean it's like it's a solid foundation of what every one of my friends like if i have a friend that doesn't like this record i wouldn't have a that they don't (laughs) exist i don't have a friend that doesn't like this record that's the litmus test (laughs) for real and it's like 
as my knowledge of music grows and my appreciation grows, I hear more, I see more. And I appreciate the structure of the record more as I become a better songwriter and producer myself. Well, Briggs, thanks so much for talking to me today about your favourite album. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you. Fuck them, homie. I said, hey, Briggs, pick a date. Okay. You know what? We can celebrate. Sure. But we can come together, talk about the weather, call that Australia Day. I said, how about March 8th? That's a good one. And we can do it on your nan's grave. Well, that's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. Time outside Jan 26. That's the day for the suckers doing that sucker shit. That's that land taking flag waving attitude. Got this new captain cook dance to show you how to move. How you wanna raise a flag with a rifle that make us wanna celebrate anything but survival? Nah, you watching telly for the bachelor, but wouldn't read a book about a fuckload of massacres. I remember all the blood and what carried us. They remember 20 recipes for lamingtons. Yeah, their ancestors got a boat ride. Both minds saw them coming until they both died. Fuck celebrating that. Days made of misery. Why I still got the black history, and that turtle get you banned from the parliament. If you ain't having the conversation, well then we starting it. You can come.